Welcome to One and Done TV. I am the first co-host that you are hearing, Ian Hamilton. And I am the co-host that's in the store next door, John Polking. And this is the podcast where we review television shows that were canceled after one season or in the middle of one season. And then we review it and then we decide if we would have canceled it or given it another season. Isn't that right, John? That is 100% correct. We are taking a look at these shows and what they left behind and ultimately what made them one and done. And today we are talking about Clerks, the animated series, an interesting network experiment into adult animation. Lots of fun drama that we will get into with this one. But before we talk about that show, let's talk a little bit about what we're watching. Ian. What are you currently watching or what have you previously consumed? Unfortunately for you, John, I just saw 2001 A Space Odyssey in a theater. I've never actually seen the movie before. And I've got to say, okay, so listeners, John famously thinks that movie is long and boring. Again, famous is pretty relevant. Is not a big fan of the pacing of Stanley Kubrick movies. Mm-mm. I thought the worst part of the movie was that I was thinking about you while I was watching it. You're welcome. And going, God, I love this. And God, John must hate it. God, I hate John mm-hmm. for hating this. And I'm I glad really I was in your brain. It. Yeah. This is where I live. I live in your psyche. It's not a good place uh, to be, but it. I'm glad I waited to see it in a theater. I do think that I was right that I wouldn't quite have the attention span for it if I just watched it in my own home. Uh, But what was cool about it was, even though there's so many famous pop culture things about 2001, I still did not expect the movie I ended up seeing. It was still surprising to me in many ways. And if I was going to argue with you for a half a second, Mm -hmm. it would be that I think that for the most part, the pacing of that movie, even though there's nothing being spoken, I still thought a lot of it had something to say. Um, Whether it was, you know, just the breathing in space, uh, which kind of builds anticipation, or some of the music with some of the imagery, which was telling you, what to think, I think. I, I I thought it was leading pretty well. I didn't think that it was just a lot of filler. Um, so that's that's my take on 2001. I, I loved it. And I, I love that the ending. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I can't wait to read 50 years worth of people trying to figure out whatever it means. Yeah, you are not alone. I fully admit that I am in the minority of people that do not care for 2001 A Space Odyssey. But it was one of those experiences that I had. I was bored to weeping tears. And (laughs) I never felt like ever putting myself through that ever again. 
So I was 16 when I first saw it. I may, I might have a greater appreciation for it if I were to see it now as a 30-year-old who's had, you know, twice as much life to live uh, and twice as many movies to see. But Half as much hair. Half as much, less than half. No, oh, my yeah. gosh. Oh, it is. We are... We are in the molecules uh, stage of the when we can measure the hair that I have left on my head. But I just did not. I don't feel the need to like re-justify this to myself. And I'm glad that people like it. Hey, if you want to read all of your AV Club features on how people have uh, been influenced by every single second of that two hour and 45 minute slog be my guest just don't drag me into it that was that's my feeling the intermission was much appreciated though i i did need to pee yeah it's good that we had more nothing in the movie about nothing (laughs) uh john what have you been watching well on the opposite end of the entertainment spectrum in that i watched something that was actually entertaining instead of just quote unquote good have you ever seen i know have you ever seen Better Off Dead? No. Do you know Better Off Dead? I'm thinking of Better Off Ted, unfortunately, unfortunately in my mind's eye. Though that is a great show with the worst title ever. No, Better Off Dead is a Savage Steve Holland movie from 1985. It was basically the movie that launched uh, John Cusack's career. It was his first sort of big starring role. It has so many weird idiosyncrasies that have like made their way into pop culture. If you've heard the phrase, uh, I want my $2 that comes from better off dead or the 1980s high school movie trope about the ski team or like anything about, yeah. Like the jock who's head of the ski team. That's better off dead as well. I watched it again last night. I had not seen it since I was, preteen. I was like, is this going to hold up? You know, 80s relationship comedy about high schoolers. It is so stupid funny consistently. I was smiling ear to ear like the whole time. John Cusack is so charming. The jokes are fast and furious. They're so goofy. Savage Steve Holland went on to make like a bunch of kids programming And it really shows that he's just got this weird, wacky sensibility. And it's his first movie. It is just so freaking delightful and weird and bold and dumb. And I really adored it. And it was only 95 minutes. So, And how many five-minute sequences of somebody floating through space and breathing were there, John? Not enough. Only three. Exactly. Not enough. Yeah. Um. Speaking of John Cusack movies that we saw and loved as teenagers that we're afraid that may not hold up, I loved the movie One Crazy Summer. That So I was going back and forth between, because Elise hadn't seen either, so I was like, should we watch wow. Better Off Dead or One Crazy Summer? And I chose Better Off Dead, and I'm happy I did, but I do want to rewatch One Crazy Summer. That has Bobcat Goldthwaite in it, right? Yeah, that's another Savage Steve Holland movie, too. Oh, interesting. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm on your wavelength there. I, Better uh, Off Dead has uh, Curtis Armstrong of Revenge of the Nerds fame. Booger. Okay. Oh, Booger. All mm-hmm. right. Of American Dad fame for you Gen Zers. 
Well, speaking of American Dad, John, I think it's showtime. No? <laughs> How is that American Dad? How is that American Dad really? What was the segue there? Uh, there wasn't one. <laughs> Would not be my first questionable segue. <laughs> as questionable as the inventor of segues who ended up rolling off a cliff with a segue <laughs> and died. Five, four, three, two, one, showtime! In 1994... Kevin Smith blew up the indie comedy with the raunchy, foul-mouthed, black-and-white clerks. Six years later, that same raunchy, black-and-white movie was adapted into a colorful ABC cartoon. And a surprise to no one, the synergy there wasn't quite right, and the show only lasted six episodes, only two of which aired. In its original schedule time. I'll get into the hows and whys of that later. But yeah, we are talking today about Clerks, which was then retroactively called Clerks colon the animated series. Mm. It was an adaptation of the 1994 Kevin Smith movie. Kevin Smith has had a pretty long and varied career since Clerks sort of broke him onto the scene. His $26,000 black and white movie with a very dense script and not a lot of fanfare leading into it, but has since developed a huge cult following. Ian, how do you feel about Kevin Smith as a creative? Well, he's got a couple phases to him, which is interesting to me because the first three are Clerks, uh, Mallrats, Chasing Amy. Those all feel like similar movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you've got Dogma, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. And I'm sure I'm missing another zanier one. I'd even say Clerks 2, maybe. Yeah. That are a little bit more out there, a little bit more raucous kind of teen comedy almost, where it just gets really really out there and mm-hmm. really bizarre and over the top with some of its humor. And then you've got Tusk, which <laughs> I liked. Yeah. To the chagrin of most people I know. Do you like Tusk? Yeah, I like Tusk. I, I would never, yeah, I'd never watch it again, but I had a great time. It's so weird. I was laughing my butt off when I probably should have like been scared and stuff. Like, just take the podcast Nazi party stuff out of it, and I love (laughs) Tusk. I love the monologues. I love the Johnny Depp weirdness of it. Yeah. Um, Oh, and then Red State. I loved Red State. I know people that hate Red State for some reason. That seems to be very indicative of Kevin Smith's career since probably about Dogma. It's very hit and miss. You look at his sort of Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic scores. They're like constantly in the 50s, except when you get things like Yoga Hosers, which nobody liked. Yeah, I was going to see it, and then I just didn't. Yeah. The Clerks, Mallrats, Chasing Amy set up this idea of the View Askew universe. View Askew is Kevin Smith's production company. All of them sort of take place in the same world in New Jersey, And like Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, Dogma, 
Clerks 2. Those expand on that universe. And Clerks, the animated series, kind of falls right in between, I think, that sort of establishment phase and that phase that almost exclusively relies on being self-referential and meta. Yes, because even the movies, you know, the stars of Clerks, the main characters of Clerks, the movie, are side characters in Mallrats. Mm -hmm. And Jay and Silent Bob are in all of these movies. And then all of a sudden they have two of their own movies where they're front and center. And right, like you said, Clerks, the animated series, seeing those movies, you kind of have to be aware of the other movies. And seeing this cartoon you really have to be aware of those other movies. It definitely is something that Kevin Smith is consistently making stuff for his fans. I don't think, especially at this stage in his career, especially as we get ready for Clerks 3, which should be coming out the day before this episode releases, it seems like he is just kind of, raising his own money, doing stuff that he wants, making stuff that's going to make him laugh. And it's usually very raunchy, lots of swearing. You hear any interview with Kevin Smith, he's dropping an F-bomb every five seconds. And to see that voice being adapted for a major network animated comedy, it's an interesting sort of pivot But, you know, we'll get into the show itself. Owned by Disney, no less. Yeah, and I do definitely want to talk about that side of things. But I do want to sort of take a step back and talk about Clerks, the original movie, because that sort of gets us into the characters that populate the animated series as well. For those that never watched Clerks, I just rewatched it recently. That's actually... (laughs) To give a little inside baseball to the listeners, I was watching Clerks on Friday night at 11 p.m. And I texted Ian, Ian, we should do Clerks the Animated Series. We haven't talked about that. And we were like, let's do it Sunday. So I watched it two days ago, basically. And when was the last time you rewatched Clerks? Um, A couple years ago, but I did rewatch the first like hour of clerks this morning just so I could get <laughs> a handle on its vibe again because the vibe of clerks the movie is very different than the vibe of clerks the show absolutely and both properties sort of revolve around two convenience store workers we've got Dante who is played slash voiced by Brian O'Halloran who is sort of the level-headed Everything's happening to me. I wasn't even supposed to be here today. He constantly plays the victim to Jeff Anderson's Randall, who works at the video rental store next door, who just, on the surface at least, does not care at all what he does or how it affects other people. And so he is constantly throwing people under the bus spitting in their faces, making fun of them because he doesn't seem to have any care about his place in the world and how he impacts other people. Yeah, they're two very intelligent underachievers that don't seem to have any real goals or want anything 
they don't want their day-to-day lives, but they also don't seem to express desire for anything else. They mm-hmm. just seem to kind of think everything is stupid and everyone's stupid yeah. while they have these kind of highfalutin conversations about social norms. Also hanging around the convenience store are Jay and Silent Bob, voiced and played by Jason Muse and Kevin Smith. And they are just the local drug dealers just hanging out with their caps and their weed. And I don't know, they, they've got their catchphrases that they lean into. They're also sort of plot drivers when they need to be. They're always these kind of supportive ancillary characters that can be thrown in and out of things willy-nilly. Yeah, they're just kind of the utility weapon for the sh- well for the animated show. Certainly, the, they can make them do anything they want. And in the movie, I get the sense that Kevin Smith just knew Jason Mewes growing up and was like, "I gotta put this guy in a movie." Yeah, like he's got a specific energy to him, and I definitely know one or two people that are sort of like that. They're kind of, you know, they grew up kind of poor. They're outgoing. They don't know what to do with their lives. And they are friendly, but also kind of have to be tough. But also anything could come out of their mouth at any moment. Uh, When I was a stagehand, especially, I feel like I met a couple people like that. Yeah, there's a few of those big personalities that you're just like, you don't know what to do with them, but you love them to death. And obviously the fact that, you know, Jason Mewes and Kevin Smith got their hand prints outside of the TCL Chinese theater together. Wow. Like that's how tied culturally they are, I think, to each other. And it all kind of starts from this one place and it blew up into all these other huge roles that they've, you know, created for themselves. Which is funny because Kevin Smith has so much of his own career, but the fact that he plays silent Bob and that Jay and silent Bob are so tied together is interesting, especially because Jay does most of the talking silent Bob is named that way because he says one line per movie. Yeah. But it's always impactful. But Jay always makes fun of him for it, being like, oh, you think because you never talk when you say something, it's got to be some big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Clerks is very pop culture heavy. It sort of embodies this overly written dialogue that Ian, I know you disdain on a on a big level. In um, terms of just like I mean, it definitely has, especially the movie, has like a cadence to it. That Yeah, but I also fell in love with Clerks, you know, when I saw it as a teenager. Yeah. So I know that I don't, I'm not generally a fan of unnatural dialogue, but that doesn't mean I don't like it. Like when it's done well or when, you know, like I love Wes Anderson and for the most part, that is very unnatural dialogue. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to sit here and talk for 20 minutes about where I draw the line because <laughs> I'm sure we'll just keep having this conversation as we review more shows. Mm-hmm. But 
the way Clerks does it, because it does have so much to say, I think I don't really mind. And because it's from an, at least at that point, very unique point of view or very, like, it's really smart and unnatural, but it's from a, I'm just a guy from New Jersey nerd. He's not even like blue collar. No. You know, he's just some guy from New Jersey writing what feels like very slice of life. So mm-hmm. he, so it feels real, even though it doesn't necessarily sound real. I like, that's a great way to sort of bring in that distinction. And especially in the term, in the case of the original movie Clerks, the dialogue itself, I feel kind of breaks through the sort of amateurishness of the production because it's lots of like long single takes and black and white using people who aren't as sort of professionally trained actors, but it does, it's so fast and so unique and so such a strong voice that it does overcome some of, I think it's technical shortcomings. You can only afford so much actual film to film on. Yeah. I know Kevin Smith had to like, max out a credit card and sell his comic book collection or something like that yeah. in order to pay for it. He could only afford so much film to shoot on at the time. So that gives me extra forgiveness on some a- of those. Absolutely. Yeah. And he, his sort of lore of making the movie does play into this sort of early nineties indie film scene that was, I mean, I hate to bring up his name, but is sort of marked by Harvey Weinstein and the sort of bullheaded jackassery that he brought to the film industry to sort of, you know, buying these films at Sundance and then touting these filmmakers. And he was a huge bully and an absolute monster. And the there is some of that too in the background of the development of this TV show as well, which I'll get to later. Interesting. But still clerks was this small movie. It made like $4 million. So not like a huge hit or anything like that, but it did have an impact on culture and they had the idea for this animated series back in 1995, so only a year after the original movie came out. But there was also another thing that happened in 1995, which was there was an unaired pilot for a multicam sitcom, live-action sitcom. I watched it. It's on YouTube. It's very bad. It stars Jim Brewer as Randall, Whoa. Goat boy himself. Yeah. There's also a very young pre-Felicity Carrie Russell in a small role in it. I wouldn't recommend watching it if you want to get a sense of it. Maybe watch like the first two minutes. But this was... And then you can be like, I got it. Yeah, you got it. Close the browser. Absolutely. This was done without Kevin Smith at all. He was making, I think, Mallrats at the time that they were developing this separate TV show. But they still wanted to kind of go back to the clerk's characters. They wanted to do it in an animated way. But adult animation really kind of stopped and started with The Simpsons at that point. And it wasn't really until like King of the Hill and South Park broke 
into the space in like 96, 97, that there was this sort of reemergence of adult animation, which led to like Family Guy and Futurama and Clone High, which we talked about as well, too. And so Clerks sort of got back into the conversation there. And what we got were these six episodes, which I would love to get into right after this commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. Hi, this is Ian, and I'm trying to do this commercial as quickly as possible. Please review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social at One and Done TV. Email us oneanddonepod at gmail.com with any suggestions or thoughts. If you haven't hit the skip forward 15 seconds button yet, I will be amazed. Okay, enjoy the show. Like Clerks the movie, Clerks the animated series, each of the episodes are their own isolated stories. So I thought it would be a good time to just talk about some of the highlights. 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 The first episode follows Leonardo Leonardo who is this big megalomaniac character modeled after Hans Gruber from Die Hard. I heard they actually tried to get Alan Rickman to do this, and he said no, but it was voiced by Alec Baldwin. But he did do Dogma instead. He did. So Alan Rickman did have a relationship with Kevin Smith. But Leonardo, Leonardo, who lives in the town of Leonardo, New Jersey, builds this big convenience store to drive the quick stop where Dante and Randall work out of business. And so it leads to this sort of huge plot to destroy New Jersey through capitalism. And right. Take down the quick stop. I guess the show amps up the stakes from the movie very quickly. Yeah, basically from the pilot on, you realize that the movie was a slice of life, but what the animated show is, is one wild, jacked up, juiced up, on steroids, uh, cliche cartoon that plays with not only the tropes of the characters that you know from the movie, but also every TV trope that they can cram into the episodes. And every pop culture reference that they can make. There's even one sort of like sweeping shot where they are following like a line of communication in the pilot that goes into a sewer line where the Phantom of the Opera is just standing there and then they cut back up. Not acknowledged. Yeah. So it's always just peppered with seemingly as much stuff as the creators thought was possible to bring into this universe. I do want to say, unlike the Clerks pilot that with Jim Brewer and Carrie Russell, this one was actually written by Kevin Smith as well as his producing partner, Scott Mosier. And it was also developed by this guy, David Mandel, who was a writer for Seinfeld. That's it. I knew I knew the name. And he was coming off of that. He ended up working on Curb Your Enthusiasm later and also show ran Veep. 
for the last couple seasons, too. Oh, nice. Okay. They really had this big talent for this first foray into TV. And Scott Moser, did he play Snowball in the movie? He did. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. Absolutely. I don't think we can discuss Snowball in a PG podcast. No. No. So the second episode, though, is a flashback episode to basically the first episode. Right. Which I remember fondly. Actually, I did want to talk about this a little bit up top. Me and you rented Clerks, the animated series from Blockbuster Mm -hmm. when we were in high school, I think. And I mean, I remember the fact that the second episode is a clip show of the first episode was so mind-blowing to us at the time. And it still is. I still think that is a hilarious concept. Um, But I just, I remember that specifically killed us. And of course, I've talked about this on the Bob Patterson episode. One of the hardest times I ever laughed in my life was the joke Flintstones list in that show when they all get on the train and they have to pick up the train and drive it the way that the Flintstones drive cars in their show. It's really bad, but compared to all the other jokes that are in poor taste in the show, not the worst one. No, there is. Yeah. I think that's a good way to sort of segue into that part of the discussion. This is a show that deals a lot in poor taste. And I think in some cases, like, the Flintstones list thing, obviously, it left a huge impact on both of us. It's one of the few things I so vividly remember, like, being doubled over on your parents' couch in your living room at your house, and we could not contain ourselves. That's how I hard totally we were thought we were in your parents' basement. No, we were, we were in your living room. That's do you okay. have like a vivid memory of this? Because I do. I mean, I remember vividly doubling over and us just like laughing seriously harder than I've laughed at almost anything in my life. I don't think I've laughed harder at anything since. I don't think it's the funniest thing ever, but I can't think of a time that I did laugh harder. Very important distinction. Absolutely. The only time I think I laughed harder was when one time me and a friend of mine were driving down the street And this woman walked out of a Taco Bell and immediately threw up. And then we laughed at it and our windows were open and she looked up at us with this like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed look. And she was holding her bags of Taco Bell and puke was dripping from her mouth. And she heard us laugh at her. And the look on her face when she heard us laughing made us laugh even harder and I had to pull the car over because I was crying again (laughs) not the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life but it was the hardest I've laughed I think oh my gosh that yeah I don't think anything that I've seen in real life can top that in any (laughs) it was nuts it was just an it was just a magically awful moment you know Absolutely. So this show makes fun of everything. It has a very immature 
sense of humor and also the jokes that are on this show. A lot of them I don't want to repeat on air. Yeah. There's no way that they would ever make it onto a network show, let alone any sort of platform without fear of significant blowback. I could see Comedy Central, you know, if it was branded as like, this is the same humor as South Park, you know, that's the only way, though. Even South Park, with some of the more wild stuff that goes on South Park, it's built into this world that is, I guess, and Clerks is too, as well. I I guess I'm trying to think of, I guess South Park was first and has been so consistent in its tone that you always can write it off as well that's South Park. And when you have a show like Clerks that just kind of throws in pretty willy-nilly stuff that makes you cringe, it doesn't feel as, again, not earned. Earned isn't the right word. It just doesn't feel like it's part of... You don't have the history with it, I guess. In the movie... They use uh, some pretty not PC language, just like in the show. Mm -hmm. But in the movie, it feels at least like it's part of a time and a place. Like it is a slice of life, almost like this is how real people talk in a way that I'm sure was not as prevalent in movies at the time or in pop culture at the time. Um, And I think that the animated show takes that aspect of the movie And again, juices it up going like, we know this is wrong and look, we're doing it. Mm -hmm. I guess that is the part of it that just makes it a little bit ickier to me is that sort of meta side of the lack of political correctness to it. It's like, we know we're being offensive, whereas Clerks the movie is just kind of offensive. South Park is just kind of offensive. It doesn't have that same like, hey, look at us. Look at how far we are we're willing to take this. I, it, I do think that's a product of comedy at the time where I've talked about this on the podcast before where everything was, look how edgy it is. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think you could put Clerks the movie in a time and place. It's a little easier because it's, it's grainier. It's rougher. It's black and white. They're renting VHS tapes, stuff like that. Whereas this is very colorful and modern and meta. And so therefore it just puts more of a, a personality onto it, which I think makes it tougher to watch in hindsight. You know what though, not to stay on this topic for too long, Mm -hmm. but I was just rewatching strangers with candy season one and it may be twice as offensive as Clerks the Animated Series is, but for some reason, because it's Amy Sedaris and that group of people, and that is very much the tone of the show, you let them get away with it. Even though some of it I still cringe at, but it's still like, wow, to me. Like, I still laugh, even if I don't want to sometimes. It's a fine line, and Clerks the Animated Series definitely likes to... And definitely calls attention to this balance between the big over the top, none of this is realistic at all, with we've got some real characters talking about real things kind of 
side of it. It mm. the balance of it definitely sometimes feels off. Some of the times where I do think it works is in episodes like the third episode, which I do just want to read what the episode is called because I think it says it better than any um, any description I could give to it. Leonardo is caught in the grip of an outbreak of Randall's imagination and Patrick Swayze either does or doesn't work in the new pet store, which is just the title of the episode. It's all a reference to the movie Outbreak, which I think was pretty outdated even at the time. Because isn't Outbreak a movie from like the late 80s? I'm glad you said that it was outdated at the time because I've barely heard of it. (laughs) Yeah. It kind of came up in like COVID conversations, certainly. But ever since then, it was very easily forgotten about. Any other thoughts you have on that third episode? Yeah. I mean, I... What I loved about episode three was that uh, Patrick Swayze was played by Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah. And it obviously was not Patrick Swayze. Um, oh, did you catch that the chief of police was played by Michael McShane, who's the guy from Office Space who goes deeper and deeper. Way. To, way, way down. down. No, I way did down. not. That's three. incredible. He's the hypnotist that has a heart attack. Uh, and oh me God. and John and our friend Robbie, we uh, we say that a lot. <laughs> deeper and deeper. Way down. Way down. I don't know why. I, I could watch Office Space a million times, but that's beside the point. Same here. But the the mayor and the police chief also are in, they are dressed as Mayor McCheese and the Big Mac guy who's just like a ripoff of Mayor McCheese and they both were coming from separate costume parties to the press conference where they need to address this outbreak of this virus that has happened. And one of them is stuck in their costume, but the other one um, just chooses to keep it on. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) It's such a dumb sight gag. I loved it. The next episode, I think I'm just going to read the episode description again. A dissertation on the American justice system by people who have never been inside a courtroom, let alone know anything about the law, but have seen way too many legal thrillers. That's the title of the episode. Basically, Jay of Jay and Silent Bob slips on soda in the quick stop and through a series of random events, Dante gets sued for $10 million to, for damages as a result of this mostly at Randall's hand as he sort of chides a famous lawyer into taking on the case uh, on behalf of Jay. Yeah, I love that aspect of it because he just kept being like, oh, what are you going to sue us for $10 million? And the lawyer comes in. He's like, oh, are you going to help him sue sue us for $10 million? And he's like, no. And then he walks out and then Jay... No, and then Randall follows him around for a solid day or two, being like, come on, what are you, a wuss? You're not going to sue us? And then when he does sue him, he's like, I didn't do anything. This was all on Dante, which sounds dumb when I'm saying it, but was actually very funny. Yeah, it's conservatively like four minutes of the 22-minute episode. (laughs) It's a very drawn-out bit. It does, that idea of like Randall pinning everything on Dante, though, which is 
also very much a part of Clerks and Clerks 2. That's just their dynamic. Randall does something stupid. Dante gets blamed for it. It makes it a little harder to watch in this kind of context when they ramp up the stakes a lot more than they do in like the movies where it's all just taking place in like a convenience store. I'll be honest. I just kind of felt bad for Dante a couple times where he's like being sued for $10 million. And it's like, I know that this is a cartoon, but that dude's not going to be able to pay that money. Why are you you being so mean? Dante in the show is kind of relegated to a character that's going, but Randall, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Like, whoa, this is such a hassle. Well, I guess I don't. <laughs> like he's either affable or having to complain about what everyone else is doing. And it's like, it's not a straight man either. No. It's a, was it a schlemiel or a schlemazel? Yeah, exactly. I think it's the schlemazel. I, it might be both. It could um, be. I wanted to add that part of that lawsuit wasn't just for making him slip on the floor. It was also for refusing to sell him cigarettes, even though he had no money. Right. Sorry. Of course. Got to gotta get the full scope of the loss, lawsuit. And, of course, the jury was all NBA all-stars. Right. Can't leave that important detail out as they well. Ha- they made some, uh, there was some really good Patrick Ewing basketball joke that I cannot remember. It was that... So towards the end of the episode, there's a series of sort of false endings where like Dante gets convicted or Randall becomes the best lawyer ever. And it all is like them waking up from dreams and they have one cut where it's Patrick Ewing. It's like, and Patrick Ewing just made a jump shot for the first time in his career. And the Knicks have finally good again. And then he wakes up from a dream. And I got to say, usually sports jokes are not very funny, right? No. But that really landed for some reason. Yeah. The only other joke that I could think of that landed as hard as it did is the one in Soul that also takes a shot at the Knicks. Do you oh, know what, I what I'm talking about? Soul, actually. Oh, uh, there's this one thing where I can't even describe it. Basically, it's about how somebody in the afterlife is constantly screwing with the Knicks, and that's why they're never good at all. They always just throw them off a little bit. Nice. It's, it's amazing. Um, The other highlight of episode four is the proto or the very first Judge Reinhold joke. Yes. Where the trial is presided by Judge Reinhold. And this is a solid four or five years before Arrested Development did it. Yeah. There's a few things that the Clerks animated show did that I've seen replicated later on that I don't know if it was a copy or if it was a if they were just like sort of ahead of the curve. I mean, Judge Reinhold being a judge is not that hard of a joke to come up with. No, but the idea of a clip show for clips that never existed, that's something that was replicated. Community and Rick and Morty have done that as well. Well, those are both Dan Harmon, though, who happens to... he. I love Dan Harmon, but he does do a lot of the same stuff over and over again. Mm -hmm. And just the sort of frequency of the references and stuff. I don't know. I just felt like there were some things that did really feel ahead of their time in this show, including like episode five is this again, very much felt like a community episode in that it sort of splits 
into a series of parodies. There's a Bad News Bears storyline where Dante is the head of a Little League team that's terrible that brings in Jay as a ringer. And then there's a Last Starfighter parody where Randall plays this game called Pharaoh that gets him recruited uh, to some secret mission, but it turns out that it's just to move huge rocks around like he does in this fake game Pharaoh. And then the two sort of converge into this Temple of Doom parody, including like the Kalima ripping the heart out scene. I don't know. Yeah, that, was... that one really devolves because it starts out as a high school reunion episode. Right, yeah. And then goes down two completely different tracks. Mm-hmm. I can't even remember what Dante's storyline is there. That's the Bad News Bears one. Oh, duh. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the last episode, which is fittingly titled The Last Episode Ever. So I think they probably saw that the writing was on the wall a little bit. Okay, the, sh- the episode opens with them attending, the two characters attending a like Comic-Con-like thing. And people in the audience are basically commenting on the show that has already taken place. Why isn't this like the movie? Why are you just doing a bunch of big references? We want to see things that the movie did. And so they make a vow to make the new episode more real. And how they combat that is the entire sixth episode takes place inside of the quick stop with Dante and Randall commenting on a variety of things, but also completely off camera. There is a fair that is happening where Dante's ex-girlfriend is making out with everybody President Clinton shows up to attack the quick stop. We don't see any of this. There's also like big light shows and like a Ferris wheel catches on fire. We don't see any of this. Yeah. The line that they use is let's just stay in here and avoid what sounds like too much plot outside. (laughs) Exactly. And then it just further devolves into, Oh, that's another thing that, I've seen since then that I don't think I've seen before, but they basically comment on the way that they're drawn and the, they address the writers of that are drawing them and putting them in these situations and they're being like fake erased and stuff like that. Oh wait, I guess that happens in, no, that happens in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Never mind. It's not that new. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, what was funny to me about that scene was uh, the writers are sitting around talking about, and they go, how about we send them to Gilligan's Island and make gay jokes about them the whole episode while they're holding a book called How to Write Cartoons by Seth MacFarlane? <laughs> I didn't see that it was written by Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> yeah, there were a couple good... Um, <laughs> So they, they they had a good dig there. This whole episode was interesting because it basically addressed probably what was a lot of criticism they were getting at the time. They're even talking about how, like, how come this cartoon's nothing like the movies and too much like The Simpsons? So then basically they take that idea of people being like, make it more like the movie maybe, and they stick 
Randall and Dante in the convenience store just talking the way that they do in the movie. But then they're clearly thumbing their nose at all the criticism they're getting by making everything exciting happening off screen. And Randall and Dante just are just never a part of it. But this is one of the four episodes that didn't air either. So they had not gotten any actual criticism except maybe from some focus groups. But they it seemed like they were trying to get ahead of that criticism. Well, which, I assume it's network criticism. It could be, but it also could be them just commenting on the potential criticism that they could get as a way to sort of skirt around it. Mm-hmm. Like they do it similarly. And I think it's the third episode where the episode opens with Dante and Randall opening fan mail. And the first two questions are, why are there no women on the show? And they're like, that's a great question. And then they put the card aside and they also say, why is there no, uh, why are all the characters white? And they bring in a character, Lando, who they only say hello to twice in the episode. And then the one time Lando has an idea for how something can be solved, they say, shut up, Lando. We don't want to hear about that. Which is kind of a funny way to address that criticism. But they also then don't do any sort of other follow-up with it. So it's like, yeah, we know we're doing this. Yeah, they, they don't fix it. They... I mean, they basically put their middle finger up to the criticism. Yeah, or just try to get ahead of the criticism in some way that would hopefully appease people in some way. But I don't really know how that would be. Appease somebody, somewhere, somehow. (laughs) So speaking of appeasing people, I think we should take a quick commercial break and then appease ourselves and the show with some Dunzo Awards. And now, a word from our sponsors. It's time for the Dunzo Awards. These are the superlatives that we give out to every show that we watch. It could be the best, it could be the worst, it could be the most, it could be the weirdest, whatever it may be. We have decided to give elements of this show some praise. Each of us have two Dunzo Awards to give out. We make them up as we go, people. Hopefully hopefully you've gotten the, the sense of that. These aren't actual statuettes that we have at our disposal, but maybe sometime in the future. Who knows? Uh, I carve mine out of soap, but then I have to use so much soap when I bathe. There's oh, yeah. never any left. You're never going to get clean, though. However hard you scrub and scrub and scrub, it's never gonna. it's never going to fix it. Even steel wool isn't enough. No. Yeah, because then you just get underneath what's on top, and that's not any better. But, Ian, what is your first Dunzo Award? My first Dunzo Award goes to the least frequently used main character, which is (laughs) Leonardo Leonardo, played by Alec Baldwin. Um, The character starts off really strong in the first episode being the maniacal billionaire maniac that is trying to take over the quick stop and is like an adversary to both of them. Mm -hmm. And I thought would kind of be normally their foil. You know, it's like he sets up problems. They have to deal with the problems. 
but actually he barely shows up in the second episode and then is like a victim of them leaving out old burritos in the third episode. Yeah. And then is, I think, barely in the fourth episode, is only in the first scene. He's in the very first part of the plot of the fifth episode, but then disappears. Yeah, he's the one that sort of gives Dante the Little League team to coach. And then once Dante has that team, Leonardo leaves. Right, because they they get drunk together at the high school reunion, realizing that everybody hates them, so they bond. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the sixth episode, I think he's only like in it a little bit. So if I was going to say there's a fifth main character, it's him. And yet I don't think they used him the way that the pilot set up for him to be used. He just kind of ended up coming in and out of the show and being a kind of strange character that didn't exactly fit Yeah, everything that was going on. So I don't know what the plan was there or if they had a plan and then diverted from it, but it was just kind of strange. It's much like Bob Patterson where <laughs> John Tesh was a main character for two episodes and then just disappeared. Yeah, but one of them has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and the other one does not. John Tesh does have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I saw it. Yeah, Leonardo Leonardo could have been a contender. No, he could have been a really good sort of big money driving a lot of the zaniness of things, but without him in those positions definitely felt a lot more chaotic, which I think chaos can be fun, especially when it comes to adult animation. But totally, though, it if he was around a little bit more, I think it would have made for some more interesting cross-character dynamics. Right. It kind of felt like at a certain point he was a weight on them that was like, oh, we yeah. have to use this character. As We've got Alec Baldwin. To, right. Alec Baldwin said he'd do our show. Like we we have to find ways to put him into these episodes as opposed to using him for that foil, for that person that uh for the antagonist, you know, mm-hmm. that they're always having to work around. And it it just became this weird extra limb. Um so that was kind of strange. Yeah. Not a limb that's gonna hold you up. Like kind of a limb that is just kind of there. Like a pinky. You don't need a pinky. Or like a like a giant skin tag. Yeah. I'm very familiar with those. Uh, speaking of skin tag, John, what's your <laughs> first Dunzo? My first Dunzo award goes to best safety tips. And those go to Jay and Silent Bob. So the first couple episodes, this is another thing that they established early on that I wish they had sort of carried through. I think it's episode two and three, and then they drop it. And the first one as well. Oh. Yeah. But they sort of give Jay and Silent Bob these after-episode tips to make the show more educational. And, of course, they are, you know, twisted and subverted in weird ways and... They also tend to involve Charles Barkley, who they either shoo away or beat the crud out of within these safety lessons. But one of them is about 
how it's important to put out campfires. The other is just about how science is important. And it is bookended by these two kids, the girl kid just telling the boy kid, oh, man, it's raining outside. Let's have some fun. Why don't you take off your shirt? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't even really remember what these uh, science lessons are about. I just remember the little girl keep being like, oh, boy, Billy, you should take off your shirt. Yeah, you know, it's so weird. But they it's just all about science is important. Yeah. Cool. And then they get some weird kid dynamics going on. Yeah. So, again, another thing I wish they had thrown in a little bit more because it was a fun sort of tag to the episode. But for whatever reason, they did not. Ian, what is your second Dunzo Award? My second Dunzo Award is the most complete plot award, which Mm. goes to episode four, which had a through line beginning, middle, end. (laughs) Unlike pretty much every other episode, uh, it starts off. They have their. There's a lawsuit. A lawyer is introduced. There's a courtroom scene. Even though the lawsuit is never truly settled, they go off on what a couple different ways that the lawsuit could have been settled, and they just kind of end the episode. But that episode felt like it actually had a story as opposed to every other episode, which kind of felt like it starts off one way, then something happens, then something else happens, and then there's a joke and then it's over. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think you are thinking a lot like an ABC executive because episode four was the first episode that was aired. Wow. This is another one and done show that was aired out of order. I guess we haven't really had it as much in the TV shows that we've talked about so far, but that is a pretty common thing with TV shows that have not had network support is that they air the episodes out of order. The first time we did this podcast, which is in 2015, I remember Firefly went out of order. The Tick was out of order. Um, I think Freaks and Geeks as well when it originally aired. This isn't one and done, but uh, Scrubs, the second to last season, or the last season that was on NBC. Right, yeah. They aired a bunch of that out of order because I remember Dr. Cox was bald in one episode, then had hair in another episode, (laughs) and then shaved his head in another episode. And I was like, so confused. It's a, yeah, no, it is very much like a marker of a lack of network support. And, but they must have seen episode four, been like, this is the one that's going to kick us off. It was interesting too, because as I mentioned before, the jury in that episode is all NBA all-stars. And this air this episode aired directly after a game in the NBA finals that year. Ah. So okay. I think maybe they thought there could be some sort of like cross promotional thing. But yeah, you are thinking like a true executive, and yet you will not get paid like one. Uh no, not I, I won't make in my lifetime what they make in a year, I'm sure. Um that's interesting though, because the pilot probably has the second most plot in it and that it's like Leonardo Leonardo is going to open up a competing shop across the street that's like a mega mall essentially it's a mega mall quick stop yeah 
And the second episode of the series is a flashback episode to the first episode, but they never aired the first episode. (gasps) They aired episode four, and then it was episode two, which is a flashback episode to episode one, which they never aired. No way. Absolutely. Yes. Wow. That is bonkers. That makes no sense. Tip of the iceberg, baby. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. This is one of many reasons why working for a corporation is terrible. John, what's your second Dunzo? (laughs) My second Dunzo goes to the best non-use of celebrities. And that goes to episode two, the flashback episode, where they talk about all of the famous people that have come through their store over a period of time. There is Jerry Seinfeld. There's Martin Scorsese. There's Samuel L. Jackson, Catherine Hepburn, Matt Damon, Ted Danson. All of these people, it's basically Dante or Randall yelling, get out of here, Martin Scorsese. Get out of here, Ted Danson. Did you we see don't that watch Gwyneth you here, Matt Paltrow Damon. was played by Gwyneth Paltrow, though? I did see that, yeah. And Jerry Seinfeld was played by Gilbert Gottfried. But that's uh-huh. okay. And Patrick Swayze, as you mentioned, also was played by Gilbert Gottfried, too. They do a fun job of sort of... I also like that Patrick Swayze, who is the might be working at this pet store has a horse that he constantly renames different titles of his movies. So at first it's like, this is my horse ghost after that movie that I was in or let's ride point break stuff like that. And then at the end, he's like, hi ho red dawn or something. (laughs) I don't know. I thought that was the time when the pop culture awareness sang through as opposed to some of the other times it felt a little too chaotic and a little forced. But when it was, when they subvert the expectations like that without making fun of these people too much, it, I thought I enjoyed that part of it. Oh, what's the matter, John? Killing the entire class of 1980 in a Challenger-style explosion wasn't pop culture enough for you? I mean, I guess it was pop culture. It's just not something I really needed to see. <laughs> yeah that was rough there also was one really good pop culture reference at the end of that second episode which was the stand by me ending oh uh, yes i wrote it down as the sandlot ending no that's stand by me man well it's also kind of like the sandlot and they also did rip uh one of the things specifically from animal house so it's all of them john what are you talking about the animal house thing Uh, Because they say that one of them went on to become Senator Bludarski or whatever. That's Animal House. John Belushi's character. Oh, Robert Bludarski. That's what they say. That's what uh, Silent Bob goes on to be. Okay, so that is. That's right. You're right. I literally was just talking about this, how in the Sandlot, one of the fates at the end of it is like, this guy got really into the 60s and we never saw him again. Yeah, that is the Sandlot part of it. But no, them walking down the street and then like going off to their different houses, that's Stand By B. And then Jay typing at his computer and being interrupted by his like granddaughter or whatever. That's Richard Dreyfus at the end of Stand By Me. Oh man, lots of confusing pop culture references and lots of reasons to not watch the show, at least from an executive point of view, which we will get to right after this commercial break. 
And now, a word from our sponsors. Clerks the Animated Series is Troubles did not start in the year 2000 when the show originally aired. They seem to have started a couple years ago when they were originally making the deal to develop the show. As I kind of said, when they first came up with the idea of Clerks the Animated Series, it was 1995. There wasn't a lot of adult animation. Then there was some momentum that was happening to create more properties around that time, especially on major networks. And that sort of kickstarted these conversations. Presumably, Scott Mosier, Kevin Smith, David Mandel, they all went to, as they said, like every network. At least this is what they said apparently on the DVD commentaries for Clerks the Animated Series. Everyone turned them down except for the UPN, if we remember UPN as a network, which is now basically the CW. I think they made the Oblongs, which was another weird animated show with Will Ferrell. Yeah, they seem to be very invested in adult animation and they wanted to work with this group of people. They actually offered 13 episodes to be developed and they promised that all 13 of these episodes would be aired. Then the story takes a little bit of a turn because Disney then comes in and says, hey, we're now interested in what you have to do again. And we'll, we're willing to give you a spot on ABC and develop it as an ABC show. Clerks was developed by Miramax and it was released by Miramax. The original movie was. And so Miramax owned the rights to the original movie and that 1995 pilot that I was talking about. But this animated series, even though it was being produced by Miramax Television, it wasn't necessarily automatically a Miramax property and therefore wasn't under the same sort of scrutiny that Miramax's ownership by Disney would have involved. So Miramax was bought out by Disney in 1993. Whoa, I didn't know that. Yeah, so kind of as Miramax was on the rise, sort of with the, like its relationship with filmmakers like Quentin Tarantino and Kevin Smith and everyone like that, they got bought out by Disney. Harvey Weinstein apparently came in and was like, guys, we need to work with ABC if they are interested because we need to maintain this relationship with our parent company, Disney, keep it all in the family, essentially. So presumably, Harvey Weinstein was the one that leaned on Kevin Smith, Scott Mosier, David Mandel to eventually sell the show to ABC, even though ABC said, we're only going to give you six episodes and we're not going to promise that we're going to air all of them either. But it does seem like the Harvey Weinstein of that really influenced where that show ended up because of Miramax's relationship with Disney. I know. That is so strange. I mean, I got to think that Kevin Smith's ability to make movies 
would have been a part of this too. Like you, I help you make movies. I need this relationship with the parent company. So you need to do this thing that I'm going to say because I help you make movies. Exactly. That was Harvey Weinstein's whole thing was that was how he bullied people into sticking with him. He's like, well, that's not the only way he bullied people, John. No, it's not. I'm not saying that that was the exclusive (laughs) medium for his bullying. But when it came to the film industry, for sure, he was like, if you don't work with me, if you don't do things my way, I'm going to tell everyone that you're impossible to work with and you're never going to work in this town again. Right. And I'm sure he had that kind of influence over people that were making movies for him as well, which then led to this extra pressure to bring the show to ABC. So the show was eventually bought by ABC. And one thing that I thought was really interesting, and this is something that the creators commented on in the DVD commentary, was from when the show started getting developed to when the show aired, ABC went from being the fourth-ranked network of the big broadcast networks to the first And that was because of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Oh. Who Wants to Be a Millionaire started in the fall of 1999, catapulted ABC to the top of the ratings. And David Mandel, in a commentary track, shared basically, when you are in fourth place, you're willing to give a shot to the animated show based on the R-rated movie that's doing something a little weird. When you are in first place, you're much more risk-averse to supporting weird experimental content like this. So at least from the creative perspective, they definitely blame ABC's subsequent success on basically how the show is treated. Wow. That makes sense. I mean, that's not, this is not the first show that we've reviewed that has been hurt by the fact that their parent network was doing well. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Our cracking up episode, we definitely talk about that. I'm sure Mm -hmm. there's other ones. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And I think as part of that, that affected their scheduling. Apparently, Clerks was originally supposed to air in the spring of 2000. It ended up airing in the summer of 2000, which if you know anything about broadcast TV, especially during that time, summer of 2000 or like just summertime in general is a really bad time to air, especially narrative TV. Summer is when a lot of broadcast networks throw out their reality garbage that people are going to gobble up no matter what. And actually clerks debuted against survivor. That's right. That was peak survivor peak survivor. So, and then again, they also aired after the NBA finals, but apparently when the first episode was aired, the NBA finals ran long. So it started 20 minutes late on top. Of <laughs> Maybe they thought it would be this great like boost for them. And then it turned into probably something really weird for any fans that actually wanted to watch the show. Yeah. Or like, I mean, a bunch of comic book nerds or indie film nerds or whatever are like, oh, we have to watch sports. And then it doesn't even start when it's supposed to. The crossover there does not seem like it exists. And so, you know, even if you were actively tuning into this thing, 
and then you see, oh, I have to wait through 20 minutes of the last 30 seconds of an NBA game because that's how long those things take. Yeah, it would be a bit interminable. So, and that, again, is the fourth episode that aired. And then they had the second episode the next week. Low ratings were used to justify everything. So canceled after two episodes. Then the show kind of found a light when it was released on DVD in 2001. I believe it was pretty early in 2001 as well. And so it did get watched. It did get viewed by some people that, you know, were probably like us when we were kids passing through and be like, what is this? Right. Give it, give it a rental. It's only six episodes. You don't have to pay those extra blockbuster fees for renting multiple discs of a season long box set. Hey, be fair to Blockbuster, John. Those fees catapulted them to the top where they've remained to this day. They are currently the number one DVD and VHS distributor in the United States. Bravo. Bravo, Blockbuster, as always. Is that true? I don't know. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, yeah, it was this certainly this combination of not finding the right home for this content, mismanaging the release of it, and then just kind of letting it die on the vine. Apparently there's stuff in cut scenes from Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back where they make jabs at the way that Clerks the Animated Series was handled. And fun fact, Kevin Smith said that there was another life for Clerks the Animated Series. And it was in a movie form. It was going to be an animated movie. It was going to be called Clerks Sellout. And it was all about Dante and Randall in animated form making a movie about their journey and their lives working at the quick stop. So it's going to be very self-referential. But that script was then later twisted and redeveloped into becoming Clerks 3. What? Which is now coming out uh, the day before this podcast releases. So it all kind of comes full circle. I thought you were going to say it turned into Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back because the plot of that movie is that their lives are turned into a comic book, mm-hmm. uh, which maybe that's a thing in Mallrats Chasing Amy. I can't that's remember. That's Chasing Amy. Yeah. Right. And then that comic book is being turned into movies with starring Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Yeah. Uh, so I, I thought you were going to say that that script became that. So that is that is wild. Okay. Yeah. So all right, fine, whatever. It's all it's all relevant. It's all uh, even into 2022. We're seeing the remnants of what would have been the next stage of Clerks the animated series. It's Bring all it relevant, Dave. Well, nobody wants to hear your 2001 references. Nobody. There are no fans of 2001 listening to this podcast right now. Everyone I hates feel it just better, like I do. John, after you said that. Of course you do. Of course you do. So Daisy, with all... Daisy. <laughs> you. <laughs> with all that being said, all the drama, all the nonsense all the animated, wild, wacky antics. Ian, 
would you renew? I would not renew. Which All right. is surprising to me because I have very fond memories of this show. Mm-hmm. I still watching what I watched the movie today. I still like the movie. Um, I'm pretty afraid to rewatch Clerks too, though. If I'm going to be honest, um, I liked it at the time, but I don't know if I would now. Did you catch the things that would appear in Clerks two that were in Clerks the animated series? No. There was a bestiality reference in Clerks the Animated Series, but there was also a much more direct one. Interspecies erotica. Of course. Where one character was wearing a movies shirt, which is the fast food chain that Dante and Randall oh, work at right. in Clerks 2. Yeah. Um, I think movie shows up in other viewers. Oh, movies stuff. is in dogma. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry. So you were saying. But so going back to my Dunzo about the one episode that has the most plot, I actually do think that this show suffered from the fact that you were supposed to know the characters going into it and that they were just toying with your expectations of what the characters were and they were playing all their characteristics very over the top. Um, I think that it was too irreverent if I'm going to be honest, to the point mm-hmm. where it felt very scattered. it I could not necessarily keep track of where we were, scene to scene, mm-hmm. joke to joke, how we got there or where we were going. There and, was one point where I went up to like refill my water, and I came back, and I had no idea what was happening, and I had to rewind. Right, and so that disparate feeling... Mm-hmm just made it kind of boring. I mean, it was funny, but I also thought it was more silly than it was funny. Um, mm-hmm. Like they very much made it a cartoon and waved their arms and legs and went, see, it's a cartoon. Cartoons do these things. And I'm like, yeah, that's what cartoons do. Why? That's not funny just because you're doing it, you know? Yeah, I get that. And it uh, overall was kind of disappointing to me. And I laughed, but I really wanted it to be over. And uh, (laughs) I'm glad it is. So, John, the big question here is, would you renew? I would not renew, especially in its current state. Wow. I think there's a good show here. I think there's a really good show within what these six episodes are. I think that there's a couple, you know, like we talked about, there is some real cringe sort of stuff in this show that really is upsetting kind of as, as it's presented in the way that it is on the screen right now. I think that there are some funny elements in there. I think what you said about the sort of wacky, disparate nature of it and how it needed to be streamlined a little bit in order for it to be cohesive, I think that would have been good. It seemed like it was definitely people that were trying to make each other laugh with weird in-jokes and fun references that they could get, which I usually adore. But... 
there was a lot here that just sort of made it feel like it was only for the people that were making it and not for the people that were watching it. I was thinking a lot about the Weird Al show when we when I was watching this. And when we talked about that show, how it was exhausting to watch, but it at least had a structure and at least had a through line. And it was going off in a lot of zany directions, but it worked within the language of the show. This seemed like a group of people that were trying to adapt their best instincts and trying to assert themselves as a voice, but it came off much more sort of, well, we're trying our best here, as opposed to we are actually putting our best foot forward. So I wonder what this show would have looked like on like an HBO Max or a Netflix, something where they could have sworn and they could have taken it a little further because I think they would have dialed back some of their sort of sillier instincts because I don't think, I thought the silly stuff was, it didn't hold much water. But the pop culture what has sort of evolved into Dan Harmonisms of the show worked well. And I thought there was some stuff, like I said, that really did feel kind of ahead of its time. Like you see, as a nerd that has watched a bunch of sitcoms and sees a clip show as the second episode, you're like, what is this? Amazing. How did they do that? Incredible. And that's where the show peaked for me. Is that episode? I even thought conceptually still great. Practically, I actually was not as impressed with Mm -hmm. that episode. Yeah, I get that. I get that for sure. So, yeah, there was good material in there. It just, yeah, it it couldn't hold up for those six. And I would have been curious to see what it would have done under different circumstances. Yeah. So. I mean, it's weird because the movie has such a strong point of view. And I think Kevin Smith in so many ways has a very strong point of view. I think he's got some of the strongest point of view. Like, whether you like him or not, the dude has a freaking voice. Right. And, you know, shows with a strong point of view always get points for me on this show, even if I don't like it. At least if I can see that you know who you are and you are doing it to the fullest, fine. I don't really think this show totally knew what it was. I think it threw a lot of things at the wall, saw what would stick, and then just rubbed it all over the wall and was like, look, it's stuff on the wall. There's it's a smearing all... effect to it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I barely remember the third episode. I really hmm. had trouble right after I watched it. Like, I took some notes during it, but I, I really tried to be like, what did I just watch? And I had very little for myself. I get that. Yeah. There was, again, just a not not a lot to, like, hold on to. and a, hmm. Not a lot to remember in that state but I don't know I Kevin Smith is so important to my pop culture taste because his stuff feels raunchy and edgy and again delivers such a strong voice that it does it just had, he always has like a special place in my heart. And I always appreciate like when he does 
weird stuff, even the stuff of his that I don't like. And I like Dogma. It's a very weird movie. I really yeah. like Dogma. There's so, some of his best stuff is like his weirder stuff. And Chasing Amy, honestly, is probably top 20 movies for me, I would think. Natalie, I really love that movie. Natalie is doing some auditions and she actually memorized a monologue from Chasing Amy, but she's never seen it. So we'll probably watch it soon. Yeah. I haven't seen it since high school, so I, I do want to rewatch it. That's a movie that I think very delicately handles what in other hands could be very problematic material. Mm. It really, it teeters on a fine line and I think it comes out on the other side of it. Whereas Clerks the Animated Series, I think, doesn't. And it tries to and it falls on the wrong side of what I want to see and what I feel comfortable watching. Yeah. Um, I think the show, when I was watching it, I thought maybe it could have been better if they were like, again, for lack of a better term, the straight men reacting to the crazy stuff around them. But yeah, it never felt like anyone was exactly anything. Yeah. But when you have a character like Randall, who is the impetus for all of the crazy stuff and then takes no responsibility for it, it almost feels like sort of a character cop-out that you can't have him be sort of the person reacting to things because he is the one causing it and then ignoring it. Right. And then you just have Dante as Le Schlemiel and <laughs> then, but then that's all he's relegated to be really. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise it's just zany stuff happening for the sake of zaniness. God, I'm surprised. I thought I was going to let you down when I said I wouldn't renew this show because we enjoyed it so much. There's plenty of things that you do that disappoint me, but this is not one of them. Yeah. When it comes to my memories, my good memories that I have of watching this show, just to get sappy and sentimental for a second, it's not the show making me laugh. It's the fact that I was able to laugh for five minutes straight with my best friend in what was certainly his parents' living room and not my basement. And that's the part that makes me remember this fondly, not the show itself. Well, John, where can people find us? That's your job. Go ahead. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at one and done TV. You can email us one and done pod at gmail.com. We've gotten a couple of episode requests, uh, and that's cool and keep them coming. You know, we would love to get a listener queue as long as our own queue. It's quite um, long. There are dozens, dozens, dozens. Um, so that's cool. You know, be sure to rate us on, uh, Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen to your podcast. Give us a little review. Give us a very good little review, uh, or else I will find you. And as always, Venmo me at Hamilton. I'm making a short film and I need money right now for that short film. Uh, go get yourself a large pan scraper. It's good for doing dishes. Right, John? Of course. Yeah, scrapes the heck out of those dishes. And, uh, you know, How To With John Wilson scrapes the heck out of your heart. So give that a go. And I hope uh, Clerks 3 makes me happy.
as well. I um, hope so too. I am. I wouldn't even say cautiously optimistic. I'm cautious, but I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I get that. But I will be watching it by the time this episode comes out. So with that, I think uh, it's closing time. One last call for alcohol. So finish your whiskey or your beer. Or your non-alcoholic seltzer for some of us. Of course. Get that Heineken Zero. Or there's like a hoppy... 0% 0% thing that I've been drinking. Oh, the Lagunitas one, yeah. No, not that one. Okay, bye. Oh. Brought to you by Lack of Hustle Media.